When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. And we are live at the Standing Room Spartans podcast. Your host, Kevin Parker, co-host Scott Martin here. It is Thursday as we are recording and as we are publishing. It is 22 days away from MSU football. It is Larry Caper days from MSU football. We all remember his uh, famous overtime scamper down the right sideline, breaking a tackle, heading into the end zone against Michigan. Uh, it was also Josiah Scott. That was that was a pretty tough decision to make. Not as tough as yesterday. I got some flack on on Twitter. It's the first time I've had people like not complain, but say like, "How could you leave this guy off of the countdown?" Yesterday, number twenty three, you had Kirk Gibson, who was the one I went with. You have who is a college football Hall of Famer. You have Darius Snow currently on the roster. And you have Javon Ringer, great running back. So that was that was a tough. That was probably the toughest decision I've had to make so far. But like we said, twenty-two days away. Tomorrow we are exactly three weeks. It is creeping up. It is uh, really starting to feel like it's it's right around the corner. Scott, how are we doing today? There's just more and more football every week now. Um, we're Lions fans on this show, for better or for worse, probably for for worse. Um, Hard Knocks was phenomenal, and um, I'm just so excited every week now. It's still like, you know, it's like a horse chomping at the bit, classic, obviously saying, but I really feel like the season's just sitting in the starting pens of whatever they call those things, the gates of a horse race, and all the horses are just smashing off the walls. Jockeys are in the saddles. Everyone's in fall camp slamming into each other. College pros. Dan Campbell's talking about beating up people with one butt cheek or something. <laughs> That's when you know football's back. Yeah. I how did you like the uh I just watched it yesterday, the the hard knocks episode one. I was I I enjoyed it. You know, the first week I feel like they're because you don't have the preseason game, you don't have anybody getting cut yet. I feel like um it's usually kind of the slowest episode in terms of like exciting, crazy things that are happening, but I thought it was good. Yeah. There, I mean, I liked the uh, introduction to the coaching staff. You know, these are guys that are a lot of them 
I don't know about NFL legends, but anyway, big names for their time, right, on, on this coaching staff. And uh, it was nice to get an introduction to their personalities um, for the younger generation like me. I did love the, was it Deuce Staley and uh, Aaron Glenn just going yeah. back and forth all day on the practice field? <laughs> that that was probably the best content of the episode. Yeah, Jamal Williams is... Uh, the heart and soul of the team. That speech was fantastic. Gets you going. Um, they obviously, I mean, first, second overall pick, first round pick, Aiden Hutchinson was always going to be a focus. I thought his dance was entertaining. You know, it was great. I, I loved when the team jumped up and everyone was obviously bouncing off the walls. Um, his scene with the, uh, the ice tubs and uh, the dude from Memphis was like... I they did the dance. They're getting into Aiden Hutchinson's story. I'm like, you know what? Fine. Maybe I can like this guy. Maybe, you know, I'm I'm a Lions fan. He's he's probably gonna be a a boom player. He's probably gonna be a starter for years to come. He's gonna work out. And then he gets in this ice tub and he's just like hammering this dude. He's like, Well, yeah, I'm, the, the other guy's like, I wasn't from the US, you know, I'm Nigerian, and Memphis just really felt like home. And Aiden Hutchinson like six straight times is like, yeah, but it's Memphis. And I'm like, man, this kid <laughs> Dude, clearly he gets wants <laughs> to be proud of the fact that he went to Memphis and he made it. He's sitting in the ice bucket next to you. So it worked out for him and he's just hammering him. And I'm like, dude, come on, shut it down. The most shocking Aiden Hutchinson part of the episode was I, you, you just get a vibe from him that he comes from money and, and I'll leave it there, but holy heck that house was impressed that's birmingham money right there yeah i don't know if he's from birmingham but that's birmingham money yeah they're doing (laughs) all right and you definitely get that impression but um anyway i'll be a fan of his fine begrudgingly you know but at the end of the day he's gonna put pads on and he's gonna make some tackles look really dumb this season and that i'll enjoy it is there any aspect of we're we're trying to find a way to rope this into Michigan State too? And I was kind of th- like, I guess first of all, two part question: Would you want something like this for Michigan State? We talked about like Michigan did that all or nothing Amazon Prime thing. That was through the whole season. I'm just talking the training camp stuff. Would you want some kind of Michigan State hard knocks training camp kind of thing? And if yes or no, I guess, is there any like aspect of training camp that you would like to see that we don't see? We get the Spartan all access. We get some social media clips, but, you know, there's a lot left on the on the table for fans if we wanted full access into the team. Right. Um, yes, I would want it, especially in this current college football world. I think it'd be a great way to pull the curtain back for a national audience. And I'm speaking almost purely on recruiting, right? Just get our brand in front of as many recruits nationwide as possible. Like Spartan All Access is great, but dudes down in Florida playing through their junior season of high school football are not watching Spartan All Access. It's not (laughs) obvious. Most Michigan State fans don't watch Spartan All Access. Like that's Um, for the diehards. (laughs) Yeah, so... I would love it for that respect. I think if you get a few viral clips coming out of that, it furthers the brand, right? Um, It would be a recruiting tool for Mel Tucker, even if it was a third party that had the editing, you know, final cut rights, like Mel Tucker would use it as, as an advantage um, in recruiting in terms of like what I'd love to see. I mean, 
probably a little more that like unscripted just behind the scenes like personalities like spartan all access is great but they're usually like pulling on narratives right and they're trying to show a specific thing um i feel like hard knocks is more of just like get the cameras where everyone is and and see what entertainment comes out of it um so that'd be fun but yeah i don't know i mean it's just uh, it's another aspect and one thing i noticed what watching hard knocks that always comes across when when you see games in person if you're up close if you have the chance or you're at a practice or something it puts in perspective the ability of these athletes i mean i was watching hard knocks and those close-ups where the camera's basically right in the drill you see these guys like their legs moving up close the cuts they're making the hits they're putting on each other and like from a top-down bird's eye you know broadcast view it does not look like that. And then you see it up close and you're like, I literally, I was sitting there watching hard knocks and I just started cracking up. There was like the first big hit. I was like, I would be a heap on the floor if somebody did that to me. And these guys are doing it a hundred times a day. Yeah. And, and there was obviously the Dan Campbell speech about like why they're going full pads and why Mm -hmm. they're going full tackling and stuff, which was great. Uh, But yeah, it's, it's intimidating for sure. You get that level of like, this is, practice day four or whatever it is you know this isn't a game these are your own teammates this is it's it's wild um i would like to see more of you know in uh in hard knocks as as it progresses they always get into some coach meeting room kind of stuff and that's where i think it would be really interesting to see like to see a recruiting meeting for Michigan state. And obviously they're not going to give you the players than where they're at on the board or whatever, but just to kind of get some little tidbits of like the, the minutia of how that actually plays out of some dweeby looking recruiting intern, you know, going up to the coaches and say, all right, we have uh, Tim Smith wide receiver from Florida here's a collection of five plays that we put together to present. And then you have Courtney Hawkins, the wide receiver coach giving his, you know, you know, this guy was brought to my attention. I really like this, this, and this about him. Here are my questions. And Mel Tucker just being like, I'm just imagining him like sitting on a throne and not even speaking, just like shaking his head. No, or nodding his head. Yes. I just just got Aubrey to watch gladiator. It's the first oh, yes. time I've watched it exactly. in like 10 years. Right. And the, the Caesar comes to the front of the balcony and he's got his thumb <laughs> out and Mel Tucker is just like thumbs down. <laughs> he watches like three plays and then, yeah, just nobody puts... says a thing. They just shut the folder and move on to the next guy <laughs> that I need that now. That's, Oh my God, that would be fantastic. So yeah, it's, it's, it's hard knock season. It's NFL preseason time. It's, you know, we're starting to really creep closer and closer and closer. And if you're not in with DraftKings, if you haven't been in the past, they've got some good promotions for you, but um, the newest thing they're doing, it's called Rainmakers football. Uh, Basically it's the first ever NFT fantasy game from DraftKings. It's the only NFT fantasy game licensed by the NFL PA. You can play all season for millions in prizes, uh let's see here right now everyone can get their first full starter roster pack for free playing rainmakers is simple buy sell bid and win player card nfts are the biggest name in the game 
through regular drops and auctions on DraftKings Marketplace. Craft your lineup of athletes from your NFT collection and earn points for touchdowns, receptions, just like daily fantasy football. Build your NFT franchise and enter free Rainmaker football contests all season long to compete for millions in prizes. The next generation of fantasy sports is here. Download the DraftKings Daily Fantasy app now. Use promo code TPPN when you sign up. That's for the Pigskin Podcast Network, of which we're a proud member. Click the Rainmakers tile, opt in to get your first card for free, plus play for millions of prizes all season long while building the ultimate NFT fantasy franchise with Rainmakers football. That's promo code TPPN. Build, play, win only at DraftKings. Contest entries depend on type and number of NFTs held. Eligibility restrictions apply. Void where prohibited. See DraftKings.com for details. So we have uh, we have a fun little mailbag here today. As we kind of creep closer to the season, we have. I mean, we're we're right there. We got the mailbag today. Next week, we're predicting starters. The week after that, we're getting right into our predictions. We have uh, Scott. You were texting me that you have run through your full gamut of predictions. Uh, whether that changes or not, we'll see. I have kind of just really started getting into I've gone through a couple teams, but uh, I haven't gone through my Michigan State predictions yet. But that'll be in two weeks. We are right around the corner here, three weeks, like I said, from uh, from kickoff. So as we do so, we have a little mailbag for you. And the first question comes courtesy of Gurf McGillocuddy. At the real girth, the real girth, just to make sure the we're not misrepresenting the fake the fake girths out there. <laughs> um, he says, is Brian Green a difference maker in the offensive line this year? I'm going to tee you up, Scott, by revealing a, uh, a text thread we had back and forth a little bit about when Matt Carrick was uh, being reported as working with the ones with the offensive line. And it was kind of us thinking, like, is that is that a thing that Matt Carrick is is going to be a starter over Brian Green, or is it? Hey, it's you know early in camp. This guy's been with the program; he knows the system. And maybe there's an element that I was thinking of: of is it setting a bad precedent to just hey, incoming transfer? You've never been with this collection of players, whatever. But day one in camp, you're the starter, right? Is that just setting a bad precedent? And so Carrick is kind of the placeholding one until Brian Green, you know, overtakes him eventually. Uh, but back to the question from the real Gurf: Is Brian Green a difference maker in the offensive line? He makes a difference in that he bolsters the depth um i don't know how much of an upgrade he is from matt carrick that's i think the big question this all revolves around right now in my head he's like first and a half string where he could start but i honestly probably now expect matt carrick to start only because we don't need to start brian green game one like we if matt carrick's ceiling doesn't get any higher this season than it was the last 18 years he's been at michigan state um, we're not, we should not have trouble with Western Michigan. So there's no reason not to start the veteran, keep some experience out there. If there's younger guys playing around him, it's kind of a steadying force, right? On that right side of the offensive line going against Western, you can have 
Matt Carrick next to Spencer Brown, a brand new offensive tackle, or you can have a brand new transfer guard right next to a brand new offensive tackle. I'd put Carrick out there. He'll communicate better. He'll just be steadying force that we can rely on on the right side as long as the talent on the other side of the ball is lower. Get both of them plenty of in-game reps for the first couple games and then make a determination who's the best guy come Washington to roll out there the first drive of the game. Yeah, I, I'm not quite as high on Brian Green as I, I think a lot of people seem to be. A lot of people seem to think that this is like a huge addition to the offensive line. Like I think Jarrett Horst, as if we're comparing transfer offensive linemen, is a way better player and a more impactful player. Um, and I'm not trying to throw a wet blanket on Brian Green's you know, hopes to be a, a great player for us. But the reality is he is a sixth-year senior, and his list of accolades and accomplishments are really highlighted by being a preseason watch list Remington guy and being an honorable mention postseason Pac-12 guy. And that's just that that doesn't scream day one starter, right? Even on a, a average offensive line like I kind of expect us to be. So like you said, I, I pretty much agree verbatim with what you mentioned there. I mean it's at the very worst, it's an inexperienced depth guy. And at the best, it's maybe an honorable mention all Big Ten guy who's just a stable, steady, slightly above average offensive lineman, whether it's at guard or center. Um, however, that kind of three-man rotational battle plays out. Um, the nice thing is, as you've mentioned before in the podcast too, is he does have experience playing center, which basically leaves him and Nick Samek as the only guys on the roster who have have any experience playing center. I did see they were repping JD, not JD Duplain, um, Gino Vandemark at center as well, which surprised me because I thought he was like a guard or a tackle. He's a big dude. Yeah, he's like which six, center five. is usually kind of the smallest guy on the line. Yeah. So I think that's more of just a, we need depth. We need guys that in a very desperate situation we can put in there. Um, I mean, you know, let's say Carrick gets injured again, and then Samak goes down and you need green at guard. Like you got to have three centers. You got to have three dudes who can snap the ball, especially because well, snapping in itself yeah, there you go. is a skill. It's, it's the one position on the offensive line that has a very specific, unique challenge that it, on the surface level, snapping the ball seems super easy, right? But you say that until there's a 340-pound nose tackle lined up right in front of you, and you got to put a shotgun snap right into Peyton Thorne's hands a hundred times out of a hundred. You can't miss one. If and you miss one, you might lose the game because of it. Like When you're used to shooting off the line and punching with two hands the player in front of you and now you have to start every play with one mm -hmm. of your hands between your legs it's a different vibe yeah uh, i'm it's it's in a similar vein to like we've seen how many times in college football you're you're down to your third quarterback he gets hurt and now you just have to put in like a wide receiver and run wildcats like we just don't have anybody who can do this skill or you lose your punter and then it's just like uh okay i guess we're just not gonna punt it 
<laughs> like you can't do that with a center. You have to snap the ball. So you have you you have to have a guy with experience doing it. You you don't have a choice. There's no other way to run your offense. So anyway, that was a short question and a very long answer. Brian Green will be he will make a difference whether it'll be raising our ceiling. He'll certainly raise the floor. The question is whether he'll raise the ceiling on the team. So on a slightly related note, I guess, so we're talking about depth, uh, MW, this is Aurelius291 on Twitter. Um, I'll make this quick because uh, Aurelius, if you didn't, you can go back and listen to our quarterback preview, which was a couple weeks ago in the feed. You can find it pretty easily under the tab quarterback preview. Uh, he asks, QB2 is? Question mark. Um, I'll just keep my answer simple and say that it's Noah Kim until I see anything that significantly changes my mind, which we probably won't. Today it's Noah Kim. If we knew we had a long-term need for a quarterback this season, it might not be Noah Kim. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Something we we hinted at recently, but we hadn't really kind of settled, I guess. Our guy Scott Brown, SL Brownie on Twitter, who leads the team in sacks this year. We we were kind of hinting at this in the front seven thing, talking about Jeff Petrovsky with five and a half last year, talking about Chris Bogle coming in with the high expectations, but without a ton of production to lean his hat on. You look at um I don't know, some some sleeper guys with Winman and Brule not playing traditional edge spots per se. I mean, maybe they do, who knows? Uh, but could be in the mix there. Shoot, I, maybe Jacob Slade just is an absolute terror on quarterbacks this year. And you look back at Jacob Slade, I put together my standing room Spartans highlight tape of uh, of Jacob Slade. He was a combined two and a half seconds away from like six more sacks last year. He had so many plays where he had engulfed a quarterback and they just happened to fling their arm forward by the slimmest of margins. Like I wouldn't totally count Jacob Slade out of this. If he can get himself like not even a half a step, a quarter of a step faster this year, uh, Maybe he's in the mix there, but who do you have leading the team in sacks here coming up this year? I don't know if we addressed this on the podcast, but Michigan State led the conference in sacks last year. Maybe because sneaky they faced stat, the most sneaky stat. I mean, they were being thrown against a lot, a lot of attempts, a lot of p- passing play calls against them, which gave them a lot of opportunities, but they had a lot of production from a lot of different guys. If you haven't looked this up, here's a trivia question for you on the spot. What defensive tackle had the most sacks for the team last year? Um, because you're asking it that way, I'm going to guess it's not Jacob Slade. So I'll go with Simeon Barrow. Maverick Hansen. Ooh. Had three and a half. Simeon Barrow had three. Jacob Slade had two and a half. So we'll get plenty of pressure from the inside. Now, Panashuk led the team with seven. Beasley had five and a half. Probably would have led the team if he didn't miss a few games in the middle of the season. And, uh, so Beasley at five and a half was tied with Petrovsky at five and a half. I'm going to go with Jeff Petrovsky because he is returning the most sacks from last year and he'll be playing a lot more this season. I, 
as much as I want to think Chris Bogle is going to be some super productive pass rusher for us, he just hasn't shown it in the SEC yet, and I'm just not going to believe it till I see it. Uh, Jeff Petrovsky has done it with with his clear limitations, just physically, and I don't see why he would take a step back being on the field even more. I don't think when you look at our defensive line, he's going to be drawing too many double teams. I think they're going to be committing those guys to the inside. So give him enough one-on-one snaps. I think he can scrap out six or seven sacks at least in the season. Um, So I'll go with our guy, Jeff, who is quickly becoming a podcast favorite. I'm going to go with a guy that, you know, to bring some topical news into this, Scotty Hazleton is currently having a press conference. He's saying a lot of coach speak stuff, but um, he had pointed out that Brandon Wright is having a great camp. And I think Brandon Wright is going to be a situational pass rusher. They, he had mentioned something about how he's showing that he can play on first and second down. I'm not really buying that. But I will say that in the glimpses we saw, he had a sack and a half against Pitt in the uh, Peach Bowl. He had, I believe, a sack against Penn State. I know he chased down Sean Clifford in one play last year. I don't know if he ended up finishing the play. But uh, I think with another year of just being a defensive end and kind of developing that, you know, how to use your hands, how to use your feet, along with uh, BT, I think uh, Brandon Wright could be one of those guys who finishes with like 12 tackles and eight sacks. (laughs) It's just his entire production profile is third and eight speed rush, get the sack and that's it. So I'll, I'll go with the sleeper. I'll say Brandon Wright here leading the team in sacks. How about that? Last season, Brandon Wright had eight total tackles and two and a half sacks. There we go. I like that. I like that proportion. And a forced fumble. So on 13% of his tackles, he's forcing a fumble. And on, I don't know, you do the math, uh, 30-ish percent, 32% of his tackles are sacks. So give me 40 tackles for Brandon Wright this year and make 12 of them sacks. (laughs) That'd be monumental. (laughs) Um, Yeah, no, this will be interesting. The pass rush, we have a lot of holes to fill on the outside, but the inside is certainly going to uh, carry what we need. This is a completely non-related to Michigan State football comment, but because I have uh, Twitter open, because I was curious what Scotty Hazelton was saying, the most outrageous headline that I've seen in some time connected with sports, there are some outrageous other headlines that we won't touch on. Um, Scott, if you saw the headline, Tom Brady stepping away from Bucks, you think... Um, Brady's retiring from the Buccaneers. Which is what a normal person would think after reading that headline. And then the subcaption is um, Tampa Bay quarterback on pre-planned personal leave will return after first preseason game. <laughs> I hate sports media right now so much that I do not have enough time on this We're podcast. So desperately to need the season to start. This is... I, the rivalry banter, the desperation for stories and clickbait. I just, August can't go by soon enough. I mean, I love the summer, but come on, let's get to the season. It's so frustrating too, because everybody is amped up for football. We are dying. Any football fan right now is dying 
for any football content. You don't have to do the gimmick headlines about Tom Brady retiring so that people click on your thing. Like you can just say it's, uh, I hate sports media right now. It's, that's a whole thing. Um, anyways, to get back to, to the questions, that was, uh, something that came across that I had to address a therapy session there. Yeah. Um, from TJ, where was this? TJ sent in a, a text with two questions that I wanted to hit on. Number one, um, this is something I was, I've been thinking a lot about. Who is our go-to red zone target this year? Does it remain Jaden Reed or someone like Daniel Barker, uh, Keon Coleman, he mentions? Um, do you have any thoughts there on... We we kind of hinted at this again in like the, the um, pass-catching preview but any thoughts on like if there is a guy or maybe two guys what that would look like when i think of a go-to red zone guy i'm thinking like third down or fourth down and have to go for it need a touchdown dude and it's still Jaden reed because peyton thorne trusts him more than anyone and no one is going to usurp Jaden reed in that role I think we are going to be a much more well-rounded red zone passing team this year with the advancement of Malik Carr, with Barker coming in, with Keon Coleman adding size to likely adding size to our starting lineup. I think we're going to have a lot more options, but that said, like push comes to shove and we're in a pressure situation and absolutely need our top guys to step up. Jaden Reed's still that dude. Yeah, I I'm with you there. I and he showed the ability with jump balls and stuff. You know, he's not the the prototype six three guy who can go out there and moss everybody, but he's shown plenty of times last year to to trust him in fifty fifty situations, uh, and he can win in a variety of ways too. I remember against Maryland, you're at like the three or four yard line. Somebody's coming up playing press, and he just basically bullied him and boxed him out. And he just has so many ways he can beat you. He might not be your prototypical red zone guy, but it's maybe it's a weird comparison, but it's almost like Antonio Brown, who just he had so many ways to beat you that it was impossible to really contain him. Um, the thing that I kept getting myself to to the point of when I was thinking about this question, because you're thinking about the big guys, the the jump ball kind of guys. And I'm thinking about a Keon Coleman who should have a big role this year and a Daniel Barker and a Malik Carr. And I'm wondering if this passing attack kind of resembles like 20, like the Connor Cook era where you remember with Connor Cook, the completion percentage was never good, but there was a bunch of, I'll call them YOLO balls, but there was just a bunch of like 25 yard fade routes and deep outs and stuff like that where it's just like i have tony lippett out there i don't know how many corners in this league can win a 50 50 ball against tony lippett so i'm just gonna kind of throw it over there and trust my guy to win and peyton thorne seems like a guy who's willing to do that more than a lot of college quarterbacks are and when you have a big target like a keon coleman i'm wondering if we see a lot more hey it's third and three 
and your safeties are going to have their eyes in the backfield. They're going to be kind of keying in on the run, trying to stop that. Let's just throw a little quick fade, three-step drop, fade to Keon Coleman, where you know that safety is not going to be able to get there, and it's just a one-on-one jump ball. And that was what Connor Cook won so many games doing that to Aaron Burbridge and Tony Lippett and Keith Mumphrey and all of those. Um, it, it, that's kind of what I think this passing game might be a lot more of that without the, the flea flickers, we're going to have to find a way to generate some big plays. And, and maybe that's something we can explore a little bit, matching up Malik Carr in a one-on-one spot and finding a way to get him jump balls. Like, Things like yeah. that, I think, could really help. When you look at the turnover and who we expect to start in this receiving core, you've got Keon Coleman instead of Jalen Naylor. And as much as I love Jalen Naylor, if you look back at his tape from last season, he had quite a few plays that hit him in the hands on tough catches. I mean, don't get me wrong, laying out or trying to high point with a hand in his face or due to hitting him mid catch. But there were quite a few plays where they, the ball got to him and he had the chance to make a pretty spectacular play and didn't. Whereas Jaden Reed and Trey Mosley have shown they can, they just have like glue hands. They're like fly traps. Um, so Keon Coleman's adding that size. We'll obviously have to see everything else about Keon Coleman's game. His speed his route running, his ability to high point the ball jump and use his athleticism to his advantage. All those are yet to be seen, but we know he has size and we know he can jump because he plays basketball. Um, Malik Carr for Connor Hayward. I don't think that one needs too much elaboration in terms of being a red zone threat, although Connor Hayward made his share of plays. Um, And then one kind of undervalued piece of this, I think, is that running back. Kenneth Walker was great on the ground, but if we're specifically talking about the passing game, I like Jarek Broussard on a little flat route or a screen in the red zone more than I would have liked Kenneth Walker in that role. Um, I think it's just his play style. He's going to be able to grab the ball and twitch a little bit faster, I think, uh, and sneak through some screen blocks, stuff like that. So I, I really think it's built better for the red zone this year, maybe at the um, expense of our open field passing offense. Yeah, to to put a number on what you said with Jalen Naylor there, he had um, 584 receiving yards last year and 336 were yards after the catch. But more than half of it was basically, like you said, he's open, you hit him, and he's going. It's not 50-50 ball. We're generally with 50-50 balls. There's not really much of a yards after catch opportunity, right? So with him, it it wasn't really a lot of that where maybe this year that changes a little bit with Coleman stepping into his role as it kind of you read the tea leaves. It seems like Coleman is has really beat out Montori Foster to this point um, for that wide receiver two slash three with Mosley in the in the pecking order behind Jaden Reed. Uh, the other question from TJ was the five most likely players to achieve all Big Ten honors at the end of the year. This is the whole roster. You talked about, uh, we we brought this up in the front seven episode, but now we're talking about the whole roster. You got to choose five, whether you, well, first of all, as you're kind of going through this in your head, do you think it's 
easy to get to five or do you think it's a stretch getting to five if we're talking about all big 10 honors just to get a a a snapshot of that before we get to the names if we're talking about all three teams first second third team i think five would be a great like vegas over under for this yeah if this were a prop bet i think it's reasonable it wouldn't be surprising if we didn't hit it it wouldn't be surprising if we hit it um in terms of guys, I was thinking about this question before we started. I think there's three that as long as they stay healthy, it's almost a sure thing. That's Jaden Reed. I'm blanking now. Uh, <laughs> Jacob Slade. Yep. I have two of the same. And Xavier Henderson. Yep. Okay. Because Xavier Henderson's just going to get the name votes, right? Like, oh, I've seen his name forever. He's been a starter forever. He's a captain. Tenth he's been to all the Big Ten media days, I feel yeah. like, for like three years in a row. The media people love him. Yeah. So those three, I think, have already done enough. They've already put some votes in their back pocket before they touch I'm gonna, the field. I'm going to add a fourth to that list, and I'm going to say Bryce Berenger because we talked about how good the, the Big Ten punting was last year most not all most of those guys have graduated out there's still basically the big competition is uh Corsac the kid at Rutgers is I'm pretty sure he's back and then uh Tory Taylor at Iowa mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure is back but most be. of those other guys are gone so I I think Berenger looks like he did last year he'll have one of those three spots if we punt at all this year <laughs> yet to be seen <laughs> um yeah, so beyond that, I mean, it's. I would be surprised if we didn't get to five if all four of those pan out. Um, just because there's there's a lot of athletes. I mean, Peyton Thorne's going to get his time. Quarterback's a tough one. There's there's good quarterbacks. It's not the best Big Ten quarterback class ever, but you there's got enough at the top. C.J. Stroud is a is a guarantee, right? Aiden and O'Connell's then more than likely he's going to put up numbers. And then beyond that, it's an, I mean, you've got the guys at Michigan, you've got Tanner Morgan, you've got that new transfer at Nebraska. Um, there's plenty of guys who Tua, is going to put up numbers. Tua. Yeah. <laughs> Mini Tua. Yeah. Um, so I think Peyton Thorne could definitely get there, but it's a crowded room for that likely third spot. I mean, if Aiden O'Connell is a bad year, maybe there's two spots open, but, um, and past running, that, I mean, running back, I think it's too much of a committee to have yeah. one guy. That would be surprising to me. Uh, but Kenneth Walker was surprising last year. Um, JD Duplain, I think has a really good shot. He's been in honorable mentions, I think the last couple of years. Um, so just having your name on that list a couple of years and coming back gives you a great chance. Uh, Jarrett Horst, I think was an honorable mention last year, but these guys are guys who have to play their way in. I mean, it's not Cal Halliday is another guy who could find his name up there. Um, and if a defensive end pans out, but there's so many good defensive linemen and D line is all about stats. Like you have to be getting sacks, forcing fumbles mm-hmm. to find that list. And if you're just Which one of those guys, always, I think we've ranted about this like 10 times, but the, the fact that they just do D line is so annoying to me yeah. because it just turns into 10 edge rushers who have like nine sacks. Yeah. Yeah. So of all those names, and there's more, I mean, we're not going to list the whole roster. Anyone who's a starter could have a breakout year. Darius Snow could be an all-Big Ten linebacker this year, you know. But those are, I think, the likely ones. If all four of the, the ones we expect pan out, I think five would be where I would put my money if I had to pick a number. I think five would be a great over-under. Six. So then who me. would who would be your pick for the fifth guy, the most likely? Um. 
I'll go with Peyton Thorne. I think we're going to be relying on him more this year. So he'll, he'll have bigger stats. I don't know if he'll have better stats like from an efficiency perspective, but I think he'll have more yards, similar amount of touchdowns, hopefully less interceptions. Um, and I just think that that QB class, there's nobody that's clearly, I think going, I don't think there's anyone who has the clear opportunity to outplay him. There's nobody that I'm like, yeah, we're just waiting for like Graham Mertz isn't going to be a dude this year after two years of underperforming, <laughs> you know, it, everyone's going to be in that same rung. It's just a matter of who plays a little bit better. You're, you're greatly discounting Tommy DeVito at, at <laughs> Illinois, Scott. <laughs> I'll go. I, so I totally agree. Those were the, I had those four names that we mentioned, like noted of Bryce Berenger, Xavier Henderson, um, Slayton. Jacob Slade and Jaden Reed, right? I'll go with the fifth guy being Cal Halliday because I think in a linebacker room that we talked about has like a bunch of versatile, diverse guys who might be sub-package guys, who might be specialists in this role, who might be coming on and off the field depending on the... I think Cal Halliday's the kind of glue of that in that unless it's like third and ten... You can probably take Cal Halliday off the field and put in like Snow and Brulee, who are a little bit better in coverage. But Halliday's gonna be on the field more than any of those other linebackers, just because he's the Mike. Um, and I think that's gonna lead to him racking up, you know, somewhere around a hundred tackles. So he'll end up with a couple sacks. He'll end up with an interception, a couple forced fumbles, fumble recoveries, whatever. Um, but I think just because of how much he's going to be on the field and he got that freshman All-American status last year that, you know, voters will see that he has a little bit of a track record. He's got a fun story. The media loves the guy with no gloves, the old school football guy, you know, the 50 year old white people who are in the media are going to love that, eat that alive. So I'll go with and the coaches as well. Right. So I'll go with Cal Halliday as my fifth guy. I wouldn't be surprised if it was a transfer either. Um, but yeah. yeah, it's an exciting question. We have one more question from Facebook from another Scott. Great name, Scott DeSander. Quick prop bet here. Who will score MSU's first touchdown this season? Hopefully against Western Michigan. If we don't score one <laughs> against Western, we got a lot That's... more things to talk about. Um, who scores first against Western first touchdown? Yeah, do you ever do these like first goal in NHL, first basket? What it like do you ever no. do these bets? No. no. I did uh in the NHL playoffs, I I put out a couple of them. I hit one. That was fun, but they're they're usually just kind of a wasted bet. Yeah, you're playing bingo at that point. Yeah, you you try to find, so I'll kind of do the same thing here as I try to do there is you don't pick the top guy because the the odds aren't going to be in in something that's kind of a crapshoot. You don't want to pick the most likely guy who's like plus two hundred, right? I'm trying to find the like plus seven hundred where it's like this is like the fourth guy down the list to where you know it's a realistic possibility, but I get a little bit nicer odds on it. So in that kind of sense, I I'm not going to go Jaden Reed. I feel like that's that's probably your like plus two hundred. Jarek Broussard's like your plus two fifty. Um, I'll go with you know the kind of sneaky Peyton Thorn 
Nice. Opening touchdown. His dad is the offensive coordinator at Western Michigan. He's going to want to prove to dad. I'm guessing I'm going to go out on a limb here and say when his dad was coaching him in high school, that his dad was telling Peyton, stay in the pocket, deliver that ball. You know, you got to work on your mechanics and, and Thorne just wanted to scoot. You know, he's like, dad, I can run. I can run this. I can get, let's, let's incorporate some more bootlegs into this. And he's like, Peyton, I'm trying to develop you for college, trying to develop. He's going to want to show pops. Look pops. I, I got the legs. I can move a little bit. And he's, it's going to be some little bootleg around the red zone or something where he takes it around, outruns a linebacker to the corner. I'll go Peyton Thorne rushing touchdown to show dad. The name came to my mind, um, but that'd be like plus, I think that'd be like a plus 1200 or something. I mean, you get some nice. Yeah. Um, How many, I know he's got one because it was the the purdue game i'll i'll look this up while you're talking how many rushing touchdowns he's had because i it might be more than one that i'm forgetting he was second on the team last year with four rushing touchdowns hit four hit four rushing i don't touchdowns. remember any 82 yards no 181 yards 82 attempts four touchdowns um he had a rushing touchdown against oh he had that long one against ohio state in 2020 in garbage time that was just last year was four. So that's not career. Yeah. Matters. Now I'm looking at his career game log. Youngstown state. He had one Western Kentucky. He had one Purdue. He had one Purdue, and had Penn state. One. He had one. Yeah. So, um, maybe better odds than I thought. Yeah. Five um, career rushing touchdowns. Yeah. I want, I was thinking about, <laughs> I saw flea flicker. I saw the Montori Foster flea flicker highlight on Twitter this morning. So I was thinking about that and I'm not going to go with a flea flicker because there's just no way. But like, also I was sitting there and I was like, it's going to happen. Like we're going to do it again. And every, our whole fan base is going to sit there thinking, how do they let this keep happening? If we go first play 75 yard flea flicker touchdown week one, I think Twitter would explode. There might be minus odds on that already. <laughs> Just with how Jay Johnson's called it this last year, you know, we're going to go back to it because you know, other teams are going to think, Oh, Michigan state, they want to run the ball. So commit to the run, you know, first play of the game, they set the tone. We'll see. I don't know. I don't think it'll be a flea flicker, but man, I really hope it is um if i had to put my money on it i'm gonna go with jalen Berger. i think running back if you have to pick one guy i think running back's a great way to go right the chances of a running back scoring your first touchdown is probably higher than picking the right wide receiver or relying on a quarterback i think Berger's the goal line guy um i think we got a couple options at goal line but i think we'll test Berger there see what he's got um so i'll go with jalen Berger. i think I think between the two of us, we got a we got a fighting shot at at getting between Berger and no Thorne. receiver though. That's risky. Yeah, because a receiver yeah, could break it like any play, right? We don't have a running back the that's seventy five yard. Jalen Berger's not going to start the season of the seventy five yard touchdown. He doesn't have that in his repertoire. So I will put nice, money on that. <laughs> I'm relying on the nice patient drive, maybe a couple chunk plays, but nothing really takes the top off. Get it down inside the five and Berger punches it in. There we go. All right. Uh, let's see. Anything else before we get out of here? I'm going to try to wrap up my predictions here today. So we'll continue to kind of tease that out next week. Um, I've got a lot of uh, win total over unders in. 
with the book right now. So I Sam Hartman just went down with some weird thing at Wake Forest, and I have them over seven and a half, I think, wins. So that's that's a little frightening. I got um, one that one question I'm drumming up on the spot because of Scotty Hazleton's press conference. He mentioned Darius Snow or somebody mentioned Darius Snow in the linebacker conversation. And I'm fascinated by this because Darius Snow was not a guy who it didn't pan out at one position. So he was just looking for greener pastures at another position. He's one right. of the best athletes on the defense. So if they're moving him positions, they're doing it for a purpose because he's clearly excelling at something. So my question, when the season is over, what position will Darius <laughs> Snow have them? I'm going to give you his multiple choice. What position will Darius Snow have the most snaps at? Your options are like a traditional inside between the tackles linebacker, like a stand-up edge kind of, you know, line of scrimmage kind of nickel, but kind of edge nickel, right? So that fifth DB, like he played a lot last year or safety, one of the two over high safeties. I wasn't fully buying it for a long time, but I, I'm going to say linebacker. Like I'm reading a quote here from uh, Chris Soleri had this Hazleton on MSU's nickel position with, with, uh, with moving Darius snow to linebacker, giving a number of guys opportunities right now, potentially could be a matchup situation with player strength. So, somebody else said, um, typed out a quote about it like it seems like they're really leaning into this of like hey we got to find a nickel instead of like yeah we're gonna be you know um versatile we're gonna attack you in different ways it's like we have to find a nickel because snow's not the nickel anymore i was i going into this i kept thinking that it's well, he's gonna be there for certain games, he's gonna be linebacker for certain, but you keep reading these quotes, and it's like they are fully at least promoting the idea of like, no, he's just a linebacker now. So I'll I'll say linebacker, I guess. I don't which just it fascinates me with the transfers coming in, right? So you've right, got Winman right. and you've got Brulee, like are we going to see a world where we play three, four and all the defensive linemen play in that front three? And then you've just got Winman and Brule on the edges. With you definitely could snow and Halliday. And I think field? on, on paper, right. It's, it's always way more complicated than it is on paper. I know I I'm not new to the sport of football, but on paper, that's probably your best group, right? Yeah. That, that gets you, all of your most talented guys on the field at the same time. Like if you're making your FIFA lineup and you're just finding yeah. the fastest guys, right? Like you're just picking or them even, out. Even saying, in Madden, right? Where you're yeah. just like, I, I know this guy doesn't really fit here, but my normal inside linebacker sucks. So I'm just going to move this outside linebacker to middle linebacker, even though in real football, it doesn't really make sense, but he's fast. He's good at tackling and you know, it's, it's Madden. It's fine. Right. In the same vein, it's like these guys both have experiences uh, rushing off the edge with Brule and Winman, so you're fine putting them there. And Cal Halliday as a, a Mike linebacker in a 3-4 sounds really good to me. 
And Darius Snow is a really good tackler. He's really fast and he's good at covering. And he would be a really good inside three, four linebacker because, you know, you have enough guys to plug the gaps in front of him where he should have kind of free rush lanes on rundowns instead of having to fight off a guard or something. On paper, that that sounds really good. Like maybe that's what we're gonna do. I don't know, but it's exciting. It's exciting to think it because is. Cal Halliday and Darius Snow were probably the two most exciting young players on the defense last year. I think it'd be hard to argue against that. Right. And having them with so much eligibility left, granted they could leave early. Both of them, I think, have that potential. Um, having them like anchor our defense for two right. or three years straight next to each other. And the thing is. Other than Xavier Henderson, they might be the two smartest guys on the defense. So having them right in the middle of the field mm-hmm. and just giving them free reign, like follow your eyes and do what you have to to make plays, super exciting. Um, but the personnel, it's just bizarre, right? Because then <laughs> you're like, what do you, do you just not play defensive ends at all? Like you got one position on the field for them every play and the, you got like two defensive tackles out there and a defensive end every play. I don't know. Um I can't wait to see how we line up throughout the game against Western, right? I'm I'm fairly confident we're going to beat them by a couple touchdowns, but just watching the alignments on defense. And this isn't if Western is lining up with four wide receivers, what are we doing? If Western is lining up with two tight ends, what are we doing? And we're going to see fascinated. It's not a situation where like the offensive playbook, you don't want to show everything you've got, right? Because defense, they need to be comfortable in new schemes and new formations and new looks like, they need experience and snaps in those new you're not, positions. You're not hiding formations. There's right. that's just there's no point in doing that. Right. You're you're just getting reps, right? right? So, yeah, I think this front two layers. I don't. I'll call it a front seven because that's what traditionally it's called. But front six, front seven is such an exciting question. The secondary is also a question. Maybe not as maybe a little more. We'll call it thrilling. We'll call it a thrilling. <laughs> I was going to say ass clinching, but yes. <laughs> uh, but maybe it does come down to coverage, right? I mean, Quiveris Crouch, Noah uh, Harvey, Chase Klein, like the, the linebacker crew last year that was filling the gaps other than Halliday really struggled in coverage yeah. like throughout the year. So when, when they were looking at what went wrong in our past defense last year, maybe it was more linebacker based than a lot of folks watching TV thought. And they moved snow there because they need someone who can cover and we know he can cover. So fascinated. Seriously. I cannot wait to see that. And we are three weeks and a day away. I cannot wait for Michigan state football. I'm starting to get absolutely jacked for this season. I, whether this is a disappointing seven win season, whether this is a holy bleep mel tucker did it again and we're winning 10 11 games like whatever happens i just can't wait to see it i i have no idea what this is going to look like and we have been reviewing studying and talking about this literally since the day the season ended so like if we don't know what's going to happen i I mean i shoot it's it's going to be crazy i can't wait next week Come on back. Uh, if you're not subscribed, like, what are you doing by now? Subscribe. The season's three weeks away. Next week, we're going to be predicting the starters. So this is kind of going to be a continuation of this conversation a little bit. Uh, we're going to do the offense on Monday. We're going to do the defense on Thursday. And then we are into three days a week throughout the rest of the season. We're going to be doing our 
uh, game by day, game predictions for Michigan State. We're going to give our Big Ten standings. We're also going to give a couple national who we think are going to win different conferences, the playoffs, stuff like that. That's just kind of fun to do preseason. And then we got our week zero picks. We've got some preseason superlatives. We are right around the corner. So subscribe, tell your friends and family, everybody uh, that needs a uh, Michigan State football podcast. You can provide them with a Michigan State football podcast by sharing this. And we really appreciate that. So until Monday, go green, go white. Take care.